0: Hi, I'm Minika ramon wilms and you're listening to The Decibel, from the Globe and Mail. On Thursday, Jean Charest is expected to enter the race to become the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. The name might seem familiar, since Charest's been a federal party leader before and been around politics for a long time. And he's not the only candidate throwing his hat into the ring. Just a few weeks after the party ousted former leader, Aaron O'Toole, the race to replace him is starting to take off.
1: Aaron O'Toole ran as a true blue conservative. And then he said, the only way we can win this general election is if we bring in new people by taking the party to the middle. And the party didn't like that. And it didn't win the election.
0: Campbell Clark is The Globe's chief political writer. He'll tell us about Jean Grey's political history, who really has the best shot at winning, and what that says about the state of the Conservative Party. This is The Decibel. Hi, Campbell. Nice to see you again.
1: You too. How are you doing?
0: I'm pretty good. So, Campbell, we expect Jean Charest to enter the conservative leadership race on Thursday. And I think a lot of people will have at least a vague recollection when they hear that name. Can you remind us who is Jean Charest?
1: Yeah, a voice from a long time ago, I guess, to a lot of people, (laughs) unless you're from Quebec, where he was the premier till about 10 years ago. But, you know, once he was, a big figure in Canadian politics, a major figure in Canadian politics. He led the Progressive Conservative Party and he almost led it in 1993, going way back. I guess with the music and all of the hoopla on the bus, we're also seeing again the symbols of the generational change that each one of these candidates is trying to send out. Kim Campbell saying she's a baby boomer. Jean Charest, uh younger still, uh, trying to speak to. Uh, the young really the first change. candidate for national leadership who is a pure child of the television generation. Yes, exactly. He was elected at 25 years old, and once he was the sort of young, high-flying future of the Conservative Party in Canada. And in a strange way, he's coming back now that he's 63, when he seems a bit like a blast from the past. Hmm. And he went to Quebec politics in 1998 basically because Federalists in Quebec demanded he did so.
0: And Campbell, you've covered politics for a long time. Do you remember the first time that you you covered Charest?
1: So I actually was at his writing office in 1993, the day that the Progressive Conservative Party was reduced to two seats, and one of them was Jean Charest. So they had a caucus of two. But what I remember more is when he moved into Quebec politics. I was covering Quebec politics at the time. Lucien Bouchard was the premier of Quebec. There had been a referendum in 1995 that was razor thin, Mm. and people believed that there was going to be a third one, a third referendum, and that this time it could, in fact, lead to the separation of Quebec. Lucien Bouchard was very charismatic, and he was winning. And there was, a, as I said, a a draft Charest campaign, but on the order of something you've never seen there. There were literally MNAs, Quebec members of the National Assembly, lining up to say things like, if Jean Charest does not come to lead Federalists now, he will be betraying his country, or he absolutely must come to lead Quebec Federalists because the future of the country is at stake. So he was seen as the savior of Federalists at the time. So it was a very strange moment in Canadian politics. Everybody knew and had known for a long time that Jean Charest's ambition was to become Prime Minister of Canada, Hmm. not to become Premier of Quebec. And here he was being pushed to uh, go into Quebec politics. You know, that essentially, I thought until recently, ended his ambition to become Prime Minister of Canada.
0: So what do you think is bringing him back at this point then? Why are we hearing from him now?
1: Well, I think there's a couple of things, but the main one is he still has that ambition to become prime minister of Canada. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it obviously didn't go away. A couple of things have happened, I think, that make it possible for him. Now, if you recall, or maybe some of you will recall, that a couple of years ago in a previous leadership race, there was talk that Jean Charest would join the race, and he didn't. One of the reasons, I think, is that technically he was still under investigation by Quebec's anti-corruption unit for things that happened in the Quebec government when he was premier. So that's...
0: What kind of of things are we talking about here?
1: Well, we're talking about essentially that the Quebec Liberal Party found its way around the restrictive donation rules in Quebec by having companies donate through their employees. And then as a second part of that, there were allegations that Quebec government ministers had steered contracts to friendly engineering construction firms. One of those allegations was that the deputy premier of Quebec had done so. She was actually arrested and charged back in 2016, but those charges were dropped in 2020. So none of these charges have ever led to any kind of conviction. And Jean Charest, though, was hanging under um, an investigation that hadn't formally ended until about two, three weeks ago. And then the police squad, the anti-corruption squad in Quebec, announced that it had formally closed the investigation. (laughs) So that's a big deal. (laughs) I think the other reason, though, that you were seeing Jean Charest come back now is that essentially what we've seen in the last three elections is that the Conservatives are very strong in Western Canada, particularly Alberta and Saskatchewan, and they do pretty well in rural Ontario, but they're not winning anything in the big cities or the suburbs of the big cities like Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal, or not much, and they're not making inroads in Quebec and so on. And Jean Charest is one of the few sort of conservative figures that could argue plausibly that, look, I can change this party and I could offer an appeal in Quebec or in suburban Ontario or Atlantic Canada, because that was his track record before.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting thing. And, and I do want to talk about the state of the Conservative Party for sure. But but before we get to that, I, w- I want to just pick up on something that you mentioned um, in your in your last answer, talking about him as the leader, as Jean Chouquet, is the leader of the Liberal Party in Quebec. Yeah. So how are people going to, I guess, kind of understand that? What will, pe- what will people make of the fact that he was a Liberal leader and now he's running for the leadership of the federal Conservatives? Yeah,
1: that's a really fascinating question, because even before he officially announces uh, the... Poliev campaign and some other conservatives are, have been attacking him pretty hard as this guy's not a conservative because he was the leader of the Quebec Liberal Party, which I mean, I think it has become pretty common in conservative leadership races to attack your opponents as not being conservative enough. But the difference here is that there was no Quebec Conservative Party when he went into Quebec politics. Mm. In 1998, when Jean Charest moved into Quebec politics. There was the Liberals on one side, the Federalists, the Parti Quebecois on the other side, the Separatists, and there was one seat held by somebody else, a guy named Mario Dumont from Rivière-du-Loup. Mm-hmm. The parties were not left or right. They were separatist or federalist, and the Quebec Liberal Party ran the gamut from fairly left, including Tom Mulcair, who went on to lead the NDP, to, you know, card-carrying members of the Federal Conservative Party joined the Quebec Liberal Party.
0: Does Chevet have a shot of winning this race?
1: I think it's going to be a hard slog for him. and um, but he does have a shot, and the shot is probably based on the notion that he can organize Quebec very well at Atlantic Canada. He doesn't really have deep connections in the party and party members, but he does have he is well known in Quebec. So there are seventy eight ridings in Quebec. You get 100 points for every riding in the conservative leadership race. So he, seven, in 78 ridings out of 338, he's probably going to do very well. You add to that the fact that as progressive conservative leader, he was pretty popular in Atlantic Canada, and Atlantic Canada is thought to be more PC than hard right conservative, then maybe he'll do win some ridings there. So the way you win this race is by organizing a riding, or a lot of ridings, and since he has a lot of strength in Quebec, at Atlantic Canada, and certainly the MPs in the Conservative Party in Quebec are solidly behind him, he has a very good shot at a substantial portion of the party. The trick is, when he goes to campaign in parts of Ontario, Alberta, Saskatchewan, inland BC, he's dealing with people in the Conservative Party that don't really know him all that well, that haven't got a good memory of Jean Charest as a Conservative. They think of him as being a Liberal Premier. Uh, He hasn't been in touch with them. He hasn't been out making speeches to conservative party members. So he's basically going to have to sign up a, a whole new raft of members in order to build support there. He needs to sign up lots of new members into the party in a couple of months. And that's a big tall order, especially because some people are still questioning, is he a conservative?
0: Okay, so let's talk about this leadership campaign, I guess, in, in slightly broader terms then. You mentioned Pierre Polyev, who mm. we know has already entered the leadership race, and he does seem to be the current favorite. How much support does, does he have?
1: It's really hard to tell. And it's hard to tell um, because of the mechanics of the race. So the race will be for votes amongst conservative party members, so not the general public. So somebody's general popularity doesn't really count in the same. But then the mechanics of the race are that every riding with 100 members or more is worth 100 points. So every riding is equal. So you can't sort of judge by, you know, who has the most party members. And in addition to that, people can sign up new members until June 3rd. So the state of the party membership could change. But I think it's generally felt, and I think it's pretty clearly true, that Pierre Poiliev has the edge amongst the current party membership. He's kind of the darling of the the party's right and more recently, the sort of populist edge of the party. And he is very popular on Twitter. He has more Twitter followers than the Conservative Party has members. Mm. The rank and file of the Conservative Party is generally thought of as being sort of more conservative than their voters. And I would say odds on, he'll win this race. Mm. But who knows? Things can change. We could see a few more candidates get into the race, and that can change a lot of things. Hmm.
0: I think for people who maybe aren't following politics as closely, they probably heard the name Pierre Polyev. They probably also remember him in his association with the support for the trucker protest in Ottawa, for yeah. the convoy protests. They come, here. they come here not for the warm weather, but for our freedom. And that's why we are gathered here today. Freedom, not fear. Truckers, not Trudeau. Is that going to help Polyev, do you think? Or is that going to hinder him? Within the conservative
1: party race, it probably will help rather than hinder. A large part of the job when you're trying to run for the leadership of a party is getting people to be active and involved. So you want people who are conservatives, party members, to go out and volunteer, to donate, to get involved, to go to meetings, and eventually to mark a ballot for you. You need to have people that are interested in you for a reason. They feel there's a cause. And in the Conservative Party membership, the support for the truckers was strong. I don't know how strong. I, You know, nobody has polled Conservative Party members on that, but it was clearly strong. And he was clearly getting a positive reaction on social media. Now, he sort of artfully played the his support in the sense that he initially... Supported them by saying, Yes, I will meet with them. And then when they came to Ottawa, he delivered coffee and donuts to a trucker and put a picture on social media. But we never saw him out on the street, you know, uh, when things were really rolling, delivering speeches to the truckers. Hmm. Uh, He kind of disappeared from that for a little while. And he did make a speech sort of at the end of it saying he was. you know, freedom was on the march, and he was proud of the truckers. You know, he tried to keep it under, at a certain level, but I think, generally speaking, there will be um, enough support from that that it will bring in donations. It will bring in Twitter followers. It will bring in people that will organize for him. And organization is a big thing in these races because you have to try to sign up members in every one of three hundred and thirty-eight ridings, and you need people that are committed to rounding up folks that will pay $15 and sign a party membership card. And that's a lot harder than people realize.
0: Another MP that is in this race is Leslyn Lewis, who also Mm -hmm. ran last time when uh, the previous leader, Aaron O'Toole, was was elected. Who is Leslyn Lewis? And I guess what makes her a, a contender here?
1: So Leslie Lewis is uh, now a backbench MP, but she ran last time when she wasn't even an elected conservative, and she was sort of brand new to national conservative politics and even, you know, sort of local conservative politics. She is, at this point, the social conservative in the race, if we can pigeonhole candidates like that. And one of the reasons why I decided to run is because I saw the divide within our party. I saw that there was a potential that social conservatives would be ousted from the party. And I think it's very important that we recognize that people with traditional values, people with religious values, that all of these parts are important to our great democracy. And that is what I would do, is uphold all of these values within our party. Her support is largely from the pro-life movement in Canada, and the family values movement in Canada. Now, her campaign very much doesn't want it to be just that. They want her to be known for other things. And in the last race, she was also kind of um, an eye-opener, I guess, for a lot of Conservatives because she is a, first of all, she's a black woman from Ontario running for the Conservative leadership and this, you know, Canada doesn't have the world's most diverse... (laughs) <laughs> political class, to say the least, and party leaders uh, haven't been. They've been mostly a string of white men. She is, um, you know, relatively accomplished academically. She has a doctorate in laws, and so um, that was also part of her, uh, her appeal at the time. And actually, at one point on the ballot in the last race that elected Erin O'Toole, she actually um, had the most support uh, in terms of actual sure votes. Not the way they were divided up amongst ridings, but in terms of sheer votes. So she was a very strong candidate. And there was another social conservative at the time on the ballot, Derek Sloan, later kicked out of the party. Mm -hmm. You know, those two were very strong in the ballot. The Right to Life organization did sell memberships, did sign up a lot of people. They were very strong in the last race, and they could be very strong here.
0: And then someone else who looks like might be entering this race is is Patrick Brown. Can you just give us a, a quick reminder of, of who he is?
1: So Patrick Brown was back in the days when uh, Pierre Poiliev was a Canadian Alliance student leader. Patrick Brown was the head of the Young Conservatives. He became a young MP. He's been in politics his whole life. And if we uh, fast forward a bit, he became the leader of the Ontario Conservatives. And then he was essentially forced to resign due to allegations basically of sexual misconduct. I know the court of public opinion moves fast. I've instructed my attorneys to ensure that these allegations are addressed where they should be in the court of law. In short, I reject these accusations in the strongest possible terms. It's not my values, it's not how I raised, it's not who I am. So just Tuesday, there was a a lawsuit settled between CTV, which had first broadcast those allegations, and Patrick Brown. Because some of the details in the story, uh, in particular that one of the uh, complainants was underage and given alcohol illegally, turned out to be wrong. So that is perhaps his stepping stone back into this race. Mm -hmm. Now, right now, he is the mayor of Brampton, Ontario, one of the largest suburbs in this country. And he is known as a political organizer who can bring out large numbers of party members, in the, especially in the suburbs of Toronto. So that will have an impact on the race if he can do that. He's particularly strong in organizing Indo-Canadian communities. He's actually got a personal relationship with the Prime Minister of India, Modi. That's
0: kind of surprising, actually, that kind of relationship, isn't it?
1: <laughs> it is, yeah. It's sort of out of nowhere, but he has worked that very carefully, and he has... You know, he built up a political organization assiduously in a way that few people have, and it made him a power in the conservative party. And he has also uh, positioned himself as a a fiscal conservative, but a social progressive.
0: Hmm. Can you give us a sense of how long this process is going to take? When will the party actually know who its new leader is?
1: Well, the vote's on September 10th, so then. But a key date is June 3rd. If you're not signed up as a conservative, if you're not a conservative party member by June 3rd, you can't vote for the election September 10th. It's not actually the, when the vote's taking place. It's when the vote will be counted because it's a mail-in ballot. So people are going to start casting their ballots, I presume, in um, August. So there's no, you know, once they've cast their ballot and put it in the envelope in the mail, there's no changing it. Uh, so at some point in August, uh, it'll be all over but the cry <laughs> Okay. Okay.
0: Do we expect many other people to throw their hat in the ring for this before then?
1: Yeah, there will be a few others. Uh, So there's an Ontario MP named Scott Aitchison, who's fairly new and not particularly well-known, who's said to be uh, joining the race. There's a couple of are one or two that have already bowed out. Tasha Carradine, the uh, Montreal um, media commentator, has decided not to run, and she'll back Jean Charest instead. Um, And I think there's still a few people rumored to be uh, considering a run, like the Ontario MP Michael Chong and one or two others.
0: I'm wondering about the big picture here of the Conservative Party. So you've you've covered the politics for for a while now. You've kind of seen the changes that happen. With this Conservative Party switching leaders so frequently, uh, with this slate of candidates now vying for that leadership, what does this tell you about where the party is at right now?
1: That's a really complicated question for this party, because there are a lot of things swirling around about its identity. You know, Aaron O'Toole ran as a true blue conservative, and then he said, the only way we can win this general election is if we bring in new people by taking the party to the middle. And the party didn't like that, and it didn't win the election, and they can't seem to decide that part of it sort of their identity, who they are, what they should stand for. There's some some divides within the party that are like the divides in Canadian politics, where, you know, the, the Western conservatives and the Ontario-Quebec conservatives don't necessarily believe the same things about climate change, for example, or the oil industry. And then you add into it another wrinkle that's happened a lot, that has had a big impact over the course of the pandemic, which is vaccine mandates, populism, Uh, There's been quite a bit of sort of conspiracy theory ideas, the truckers' protests, and that sort of level of anger, and the feeling that, you know, um, it's not just political debate now, but we have to do something to get rid of this Trudeau guy. The level of anger that's swirling around in some parts of the party is pretty high. So... It's really difficult to tell you where the Conservative Party is right now. They really did not find an identity for themselves with Andrew Scheer and with Aaron O'Toole. And the one thing I think that Pierre Polyev will offer to a lot of Conservatives is, here's this clear identity of who we are. We're a strongly right-wing populist party that's really angry about these things. It feels like our freedom has been uh, denied over the last two years of pandemic. And that will have an appeal for some people. And then Jean Charest says, you know, we have to be a brokerage party that appeals to the wide range of Canadians. And that's the identity question they have to decide now.
0: Campbell, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.